Welcome everybody, this is Natalie. This is Tiffany, and we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies. And today we have a special guest, the one and only Rosemarie Haynes. Rosemary Haynes uses she, her pronouns and works as a microscopist at the Pacific Northwest Center for Cryo-EM, where she works at the intersection of physics, chemistry, and biology to use advanced instrumentation to determine biological structures. In 2019, she graduated with an MS in applied physics with a specialization in optical materials and devices. When she's not playing with microscopes or working on programming and events for WIS, she enjoys competitive dancing and knitting matching clothes for her dog and cat. Hi, thank you for having me. I want to talk about this microscopy business because it is the bane of my existence studying for the MCAT. (laughs) Um, And everyone hates it, right? Because we don't know what we're doing in physics. So tell me, like, how did, like, what, what do you do on a daily basis? And when you image biological structures, what things are you imaging? And um, yeah, just tell me more. Yeah, so it's... um... It's all sorts of things is the short answer. It's mostly proteins. We do a wide range. So the whole idea behind my lab is that there are all sorts of these really wonderful biochem and structural biology labs and groups all over the country and really all over the world. Um, We're doing fascinating research about proteins and viruses and what have you. And in order to understand like what their protein does, they need to be able to know what it looks like. And um, in order to do that, you know, has an extremely like state-of-the-art high-powered electron microscope that is cost prohibitive for most labs even just like renting time on them from a private facility can be like too much um so the nih funded my lab as a national service center and we have a whole bunch of these just top of the line really powerful cool electron microscopes um and what we do what i do is researchers will send us a proposal detailing like what their sample is and what kind of research question they're trying to answer. And um, some of those will get assigned to me. And I work closely with that researcher to optimize that sample for them and um, make sure that it's like high enough quality to get good data off of the electron microscopes. And then I run data collection sessions to try to get everything to the highest resolution possible and then help them get a structure. So um, like the different types of projects are all over the place, just all over biochem and like biomedicine. But um, I get to have my hand in all sorts of different projects, which is really, really neat. Yeah, as you were describing that, I was like, it must be interesting because you get to see kind of that cutting edge of research and like the things that are new to come out and um and like multiple waves of that research right where it's like oh this group wants to look at this angle and this group wants that must be really exciting maybe boring sometimes maybe there's like not a, what do you what, what would you say are they all super interesting or do you ever encounter a project that's less interesting yeah i mean they are all interesting in their own way i um i came in without any background in biology all of my background was on the physics side of things um I had done work previously doing like methods development for electron microscopy in like material science. Um, so coming in, like I was totally overwhelmed by just how interesting and cool all of these logical projects were since I didn't know much about them. Um, and I'd say there are still some that like I just don't totally have the background to understand why they're so cool, but I can tell that they are. And there are others that like the applications are just a lot closer to what I know and what I'm interested in. And 
those are my favorites, but all of them are fascinating. I love that. I, I enjoy talking to people about how I feel like no matter where you are in a science field or a STEM field, everything integrates somewhere. Like you can't just have physics knowledge, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some people who do, but it's like bio has to come in or some other element seems to always come in. Um, but when you're talking about like how you first started your interest in it, it was around the, you know, the physics side of it. Is there like an experience or a person or something? I know you were speaking about that earlier. What was it that really got you excited about your field or brought you into it? That's a really good question. So um, I was interested in optics pretty early on um, as a teenager. Like I knew that I wanted to go into STEM. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I was interested in like, you know, stage lighting at the time. And I thought just like all of the lighting instruments for that, that I was using were really neat. And um, so I, you know, went through this whole physics degree with this focus on optics. I did a master's degree focusing specifically on like lasers and lens systems, which was really cool. Um, all of that, you know, just very much narrowly in physics, like without any of this overlap that you're talking about. Um, and, you know, I, I did a master's that had an internship component to it. And for that, I ended up going into a company that like, it was the company that makes the state of the art electron microscopes that I use now. And um, I really, really liked working with the microscopes in that job, but the sample we were working with just weren't that interesting. And I was, you know, kind of wondering like, maybe I should be picking a different field or like, you know, what are my options from here? And then I went to a conference in um, 2018 for electron microscopists and started learning all about the different things that people were doing on the biological side and i just thought all of that was so much more interesting than what i was doing and like there was just this this whole world of exciting em stuff going on that i just had no idea about and i was really lucky to find my lab because they were willing to take a chance on someone who didn't actually know any biology just based on my peer enthusiasm for the electron microscopes so um, that's how I got there. I like that you bring this up because I feel like in my physics education, um, there's definitely a culture of like elitism and people thinking like I'm studying physics right now. And like, you know, physics is like the smartest, hardest science and that's all I'm ever going to do. But once you get out into the real world, like it's all applying physics to other sciences and it gets a lot harder at that point. So like looking at it that narrowly is just never helpful. Yeah, no, I was just, I thinking about how I, I love how biophysics feels like for someone who has gone through like your regular K to 12, like wash and or rinse and repeat sort of like K, like STEM education, typically speaking, um, biophysics sounds like something that doesn't really make sense, but like, it's such a incredibly important field right now. Like I know there's so much applied physics going on. Like we, I think we have a whole institute at our uh, my undergraduate um, institution that is like dedicated to applied physics specifically in the bio realms and like even like taking a class like biochemistry which you would feel like does not include physics we would like we spent <laughs> in a lot of people's opinion too much time <laughs> even like talking about how scanning electron microscopy and transmission electron microscopy works and on our exams and stuff, we would have to be able to identify like what kind of microscopy, like different um, like cell components, like images were generated using from even 
the little exposure I have had to imaging and microscopy, it seems like it's been so foundational to um, so many of the discoveries that we've made about like how the cell works and how like different um, things like different proteins and different um, like whatever is are transported within the cell. I think there's like so much um, like dynamic, like vesicle transport mechanics even that go, that's something that feels so fundamentally bio um, that intersects with optics, which also feels so fundamentally physics. And so I'm just yes anding um, everything that you've said. <laughs> I, I was talking with someone recently that humans, before we spoke, before we wrote, before we did any of these things, we investigated and we used tools and we made observations and solved problems. And so I feel like when you think about these advanced technologies, you know, it's a tool to further understand. So I think it really gets at the root of like who we are as humans, asking questions and looking for answers. And those tools, which you need to have innate and deep understanding of, help us answer questions related to all sorts of topics. You do need to have specific knowledge in physics to understand how those work and how to use them. You will later start gaining more knowledge about other fields too, right? So I think that's just really cool. Um, would you say there was like a person, a teacher, a scientist, or someone who really influenced you as well along the way? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, there have been like countless teachers and mentors and colleagues along the way that have each like impacted me. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate those impacts. But the more I think about this, I feel like um, my parents probably had the biggest impact in who I am as a scientist. And like, they're not scientists themselves. They don't work anywhere near science. But um, they raised me in such a way that I was always encouraged to like explore and like learn and appreciate the journey whenever I was pursuing anything I was curious about without ever worrying about like a measurable outcome. And like, it made me so I, I was never afraid to fail, um, which I feel like was really, really powerful when I went into science, because like, if you are approaching an experiment and you are like worried about whether or not it will succeed and you're basing your self-worth on that in any way, you're going to come out disappointed and you're gonna have this negative relationship with science. And, um, you know, on the other side of that, if you are, coming into this new research question and you know you know that the journey is going to be the most important part you know that you're going to make mistakes you're going to learn from them and you're going to go from there and eventually you will get there you have no idea what that path will look like then you're going to succeed and you're going to be a lot happier and since um, they raised me that way I've had this really positive relationship with science almost from the beginning so even though you know from probably middle school science on, they had no idea what was going on in my science world. Uh, they are my biggest influences in that way. I really like the way that you frame, like, it's like having a relationship with science, just like the, I guess the words that you used, because I think it's true. Like some, it sometimes does feel like science hurts you back. <laughs> um, and so like thinking about a career in the way that we think about like cultivating friendships, where you have to like sometimes just like put work in but also like you have to be getting something back out of it and there, there's like in environments and circumstances that contribute to all of those things is so interesting and I think that that's like the space where like you're saying um, people who are not necessarily involved in your work in any way can still influence the the relationship um, in the same way that like I don't know like I talk about like my friendships with 
my parents or like whatever right like so that's that's so interesting like to extend I guess the metaphor of science as like literally a living breathing thing um I really like that Natalie I love how you compare that to like friendships also where it's like I love it yeah and I think like I'm I'm curious specifically about like you know you mentioned like this interest in theater and um how that like ended up crossing over into optics like can you sort of bring us into like the stepping stones to get you there just because it feels like maybe not necessarily the first connection that most people would necessarily make and also like if you ever felt like did you always know that it was going to be physics or did you ever like doubt sort of your decision to pursue science because it sounds like you know, STEM wasn't your only interest and very rarely is it anybody's only interest. So um, bring us into that moment. It's definitely not the jump that most people would make. Um, once I did decide to pursue physics, I never really looked back. But um, yeah, so when I was in high school, I like, I was always interested in STEM, but like I also spent literally all of my free time playing music. I played in like punk and metal bands and stuff. It was a very fun time in my life. And um, I like volunteered at music venues doing lighting for different bands that came through. And like, um, I had thought about like trying to major in music in college and realized like, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm not doing classical. And if I try to start like applying that much like seriousness to my craft i'm gonna lose interest it's not gonna be fun anymore um that's not why i was doing it right so i started thinking about ways like you know i don't want to just drop this i want to like combine my interests in some way if i can that was my starting point um i had read some interesting books and stuff about like musical acoustics research that you know was the starting point of like where music and physics seemed to overlap and then i realized like one of these nights that I was um, running stage lighting for a concert, like just that whole setup that I used to run the lights was, you know, it was technologically very interesting in ways that I did not understand. And I started thinking more about like, you know, I was one of the kids that was obnoxiously interested in quantum mechanics because I'd read some popular science book and thought I understood everything, which, you know, day one of actual physics More classes. like cool it ever, by the way. I feel like those, as a teacher, I was like, gosh, I love talking to this kid because, oh my gosh, that's so great. You're, Glad you're I'm the coolest kid in school, just so you know. <laughs> Looking back, I, I don't love that I was that way, but hopefully some of my teachers got a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, so... I, you know, started thinking more about like, it's not even just like, you know, the electronics and the technology behind this, like there's a lot of interesting physics going on here. And obviously the study of optics is not actually related to lighting concerts, but that sort of led me down that path. Um, and like before that point, like, you know, even though I was onto the quantum mechanics and everything, I hadn't really picked the STEM field I was particularly interested in, but that's what sort of pushed me over the edge into physics. I feel like there's a lot to be said about like the popular science, like physics, things that we're exposed to. I think I feel quite lucky actually now that I think about it. And now that you've mentioned it, you've sent me down like this memory lane alley road situation <laughs> where like, I mean, like programs like Nova, like science and like PBS, you know, 
I felt like those things were all felt quite foundational to my childhood. And like, I feel lucky that I was like able to access those resources, but it's interesting. Um, the way, the ways that like physics is like from the very outset branded as cool, um, in a way that maybe some of the other sciences aren't, but then how is it that there's such a dramatic shift that it goes from cool to nerdy to like inaccessible? Um, that's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just thinking. I feel like about. I thank Neil deGrasse Tyson for making it cool though. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, maybe not, but I feel like he's a cool guy. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, like Bill yeah. Nye made, Bill Nye, I feel like he was actually an engineering guy, but he did so much with chem that I feel like he kind of made that a little, I feel like there's phases, right? Um, I feel like for bio gets like, I don't know, it gets um kind of sh like snubbed to the side where I always thought it was really hard. First of all, bio was not my thing. I never, I always felt like it was a lot of memorization. Um, but I, I feel like maybe it's because our doctor, like it's so it's everywhere. Bio, everything is everywhere, right? Let's be real. But I don't know, <laughs> something about bio always felt like I had to go to the doctor, right? Versus like physics was like fancy and chem was impressive, right? it's weird how different areas of science have kind of a different vibe. Yeah, no, that's interesting now that you mention it too, because like bio, like you're saying, is like, it's much more accessible in terms of like, you know, like just it's us, I guess, in a way that like NASA is not. <laughs> um, and I guess I will also asterisk, I don't know that Neil deGrasse Tyson like today, like in July of 2022 is a great person maybe not I don't know <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know. <laughs> but like he's <laughs> I'm not sure not caught up on on that. I don't know if he's been canceled yeah. I apologize for if that has if that has any negative connotation for folks I honestly um, have no I, I have no real idea I'm just gonna asterisk and say like we can acknowledge it'd be great if we got some Harry. comments on this though like he's the best or he's a total like he's over right um <laughs> hashtag Neil deGrasse Tyson is over pretty like at least when I was really into the popular science stuff in high school like the things that were focused on the most were the things that we you know in some ways knew the least about like it was always like astro ast astronomy not astrology oh my gosh <laughs> and um you know, cosmology and like particle physics and all these things that like you know, there's there's constantly these really fancy sounding breakthroughs in, and in some cases, like we really don't know that much yet, but like they're you know very well funded, very hot ticket items, um, and they also just call to this like innate sense of wonder that I feel like a lot of us have in a way that like bio might not, because of what you're saying, like it is just around us all the time in a way that we take for granted. Um, I also will say that like like the first research experience I had in undergrad was in astronomy. And I thought that was really cool, but just, you know, the methods and actual processes and everything just weren't quite a good fit with me. Um, I, you know, looking back, I think a lot of why I went into microscopy is because it called to that exact same, like these things are so inaccessible to us and yet we can see them and we can like learn all about them. I can totally see that. You are the professional development chair here at WIS what led you first to science outreach and advocacy because I like know that you know there are plenty of people in STEM who don't really consider advocacy to be one of their interests so like 
what about that interested you? You know, since I studied physics, like that's obviously a very male dominated field uh, kind of across the board. And um, three out of my four years of undergrad, I attended the conference for undergraduate women in physics, which um, that was just massively impactful to my career. I would say like almost all of my educational and career choices that I made throughout my education were either like from workshops I did at that or from like people that I networked with there. Um, those conferences had a lot of like, and workshops covering topics like uh, implicit bias and imposter syndrome and things like that. And they would have the wonderful speakers who would discuss like the obstacles they faced as women in STEM. And um, I just thought like, you know, I look forward to it every year. It had such a huge impact on my path. And coming out of my education, when I started my career, I always thought like, you know, I would love to find a way where I could give back and provide like those same sorts of resources, but like not just for two days a year and not just for undergraduate women in physics, right? Like there has to be a broader way that I could have an impact in the way that this has impacted me. Um, and at some point I found out about WIS, I think just like through social media and learns like, oh, wow, like they are, they're doing work that is very much in line with like all of these things that I experienced at this conference and this is like exactly how I want to give back. Yeah, I guess it's like it's it's good to hear and it's encouraging to hear that like sometimes it feels like when you're at a conference and like someone is giving like the imposter syndrome talk it feels a little bit like oh like they felt like they had to do it because like the world is changing and you know science like you know old grumpy white men scientists were like well I guess but it's good to hear that like actually it's like helping people um it can be hit or miss but um it's it's lovely to hear that like actually real change can make a difference what I really enjoy about this podcast in general is I am a little older not I'm not old but I'm older than you too I would think I feel like it's exciting for me to see such a difference in your experiences and even though a lot of things need to change that there are more support networks out there now to help women continue right and to find a place and a space in science and in STEM because I feel like when I was in college I'm sure it's still a weed out right? I'm sure it's still attempting to weed as many people out as possible, but it really felt like intentionally weeding women out. Like it felt like it was like, you really shouldn't be here, especially when you got into chem and physics. Bio, you were a little safer, but when you started getting into chem and physics, it was like, it felt intentional. And I don't know if it still does. I'm sure some courses do. I'm sure that happens, but I just, I love knowing that you have all gone on you're helping others. And I just hope for the little girls and, and boys and non-binary folks who are like, I want to go into this. They won't be held back. You know, those five and six and seven-year-old kids who want to do it later. Um, so just like applaud both of you um, and your efforts in this. Cause it's just so nice to hear. I know you mentioned sort of like how having like having the imposter syndrome talk and being able to feel like you were in a community as opposed to sort of isolated in your own little like physics cubicle can you bring us into like one of those moments like maybe of rejection or of like uncertainty 
that led you towards advocacy in any way? Um, did you feel like that was a part of that? Or did you feel like, you know, the push towards advocacy felt a little bit more intellectual as opposed to like centered around certain events or feelings? Yeah, I would say it was just more of a slow burn. Like when I entered college, I was unfortunately one of those people with the mindset of like, oh, I haven't, you know, I've heard of these bad things happening, but like my experience seems fine. So like, it must be fine, right? And like, um, probably at the first one of these conferences hearing about like, you know, the systemic and just, you know, constant small things that are going on, um, you know, this death by a thousand paper cuts experience that like a lot of women in marginalized genders and STEM experience, like, you know, as soon as I got back to school, like, you know, it's just constantly noticing all of that, right? And you couldn't unsee that, you know, like every time myself or one of my female colleagues would like get a scholarship or a fellowship, there'd always be some comments about like, oh, you, you know, we all know why you're the one who got that. And like, I had a professor in my department who like literally wouldn't let his female TAs carry stacks of lab books because he thought they were too heavy. Like there's just, you know, weird stuff all the time, every day. Um, and it became very clear to me how like, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of people do experience bigger things um, that are like worse and more impactful all at once. But even just from this, just like constant stream of like more minor issues, like I could absolutely see how someone would be driven off of their path or not want to go to grad school or not want to pursue a certain field. Um, and like, as I briefly alluded to before, like as soon as I entered physics, like I was so passionate about it that I never thought about leaving, but like everyone should be able to feel like that regardless of who they are, right? So. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. You know, you always, it sounds like you always knew like physics pretty quickly on, you realize like you loved physics and, and you started down that path and you're doing what you're now and you like it, but is there anything you see yourself, you know, in like five years, 10 years um, doing that maybe you're not doing yet or a place that you want to get to that you haven't yet gotten to? It's a really good question. Um... And honestly, I don't know, like, I feel like my path in STEM has already been so long and really like I've, I've only been out of school for like three years at this point. And so really early in my career, um, I've just, you know, I feel like I've tried so many things and had like all these different experiences. And now that I'm a little more like settled in one particular job, um, it's hard to think about like moving on from that. But like, I know this is a two pronged answer. So um, the first part is like, I have also really, really loved like developing some of these leadership skills I've gotten through WIS, and I know that I want to find a way in the future to like apply that to the science that I'm doing. Um, so that's the main thing I see myself trying to do in five to 10 years. I also just realize, like, as I keep experiencing life, like there are so many cool fields in science that like I wish, you know, if I lived forever, I would just want to study all of them. Right. Um, and that's never going to happen. But like, I know that just as I go into my future, I want to keep taking all the opportunities I can to just learn about cool things. I love insects. I love geology. I know I'm not going to get a degree in either of those things, but like, it's important to me, um, you know, as I make my career choices to also remember, like, outside of work, it's so important to just learn about these things that maybe in another life I would have pursued, but I can still learn about and be excited about. 
we had in my undergrad, um, I went to Western Washington University, go Vikes, they're amazing. I'm sure all your undergrads are great too. Um, but we had this older gentleman who surveyed our classes. Like he just, he was a, he was an alum. I want to say, I mean, I was in my early twenties, right. Or maybe even not quite 20. He was retired and he was like, I just take courses. Cause you know, I was, a, I don't remember what he did, but he was, I want to say he was like a general practitioner and he retired. And he's like, I just wanted to learn more about this or that or whatever. And so in retirement, he just like, sat in on classes and would even do group projects and stuff like that. And it was the most fascinating thing for someone to go to college just for fun. Yeah, that makes me think of, like, it makes me sort of circle back to what we were saying earlier about how, like, your relationship with science should also change as you get older, like, in the same way that, like, you know, friendships change and, like, it, it would be weird if you had the same relation, like, the, the nature of your friendship with the same person is the same as it was in like middle school as it is like when you're 25 as when you're like you know older 50 etc um and I think it's the, I feel like that's such a um lovely way just to think about like how to continue to grow your relationship with science because you're right that like once it becomes stale like that's also like a potential point where people feel like they get shunted out of the field and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing and some people do like find other passions and that's good um but I think you know if you want to think about longevity in science like you have to think about how does that change um over time so that's really really cool Nellie I feel like you're a life coach tonight (laughs) I'm listening and I'm like gosh yeah it changes over time and I'm thinking like relationships. I feel like when I was younger, I used to be like, I know how to be in a relationship or I'm good at being in a relationship. And as I get older, I realize like no one's actually really good at it. And the only thing you know is you don't know everything. And the same is true with science, right? I remember feeling like I could learn everything. Like maybe I could learn this and I could be right. And I could know everything. And as I get older and older, I realize and my relationship with science and STEM grows, like all I know is I actually don't know everything and there's a lot more to learn. And even the things that I thought I knew really well, there's a lot to learn. And I feel the same is true with relationships. I would have never thought of that when I was in my, in my college years, (laughs) I would have been like, I would have been like, um, science and relationships. No, I'm just, I need to know the right answer. What is it? And that's it. all the credit has to go to Rosemary because like this, this is all just like fireworks based on what she has said. Like, yeah, not here to be the one to correct you, Rosalind Franklin. Speaking of sure. which, um, patron saint of DNA biological microscopy, question mark? Rosalind Franklin. Oh yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Amazing. she did actually crystallography and um, being newer to the field of cryo-EM, I feel like I see this kind of like <laughs> tension between the two fields that probably really isn't there. There, um, you know, x-ray was like the primary way people determine structures before cryo-EM became really, really popular and like, you know, less than a decade ago, I guess. Um, there's a lot of people who have been switching over, but I think they're, they're both important fields in their own rights. They have you know, you, you can do both of them with the same sample and get new information. But in my head, there's a little bit of me that's just like x-ray. Why would you do that when you have cryo-electron microscopy? I feel like I want you to dig into that a little bit. Like, <laughs> tell me more about this drama, because I think that's fascinating. Science drama. 
Can you I, explain that for maybe people who don't understand all the words you just used? Probably there isn't actually any drama. Sure. I think a lot of this is in my head as like someone who's new to the field. And I don't actually know that much about actor crystallography. Um, but like, you know, for decades, for, you know, back until when they had Rosalind Franklin discovering the double helix, not getting credit for it. Um, that was like the go-to standard for figuring out the structure of something. And um, cryo-electron microscopy has only really been like the, the detectors to actually get high throughput enough to get high resolution have only been around since like 2013, I think. Um, and in reality, the reason there's probably not actually drama is because different methods work better for different sample types. And there are just like, there are a few stubborn types of proteins that really were never easy to prepare for x-ray crystallography. Um, as you can assume from the name, you have to like turn the samples into a crystal to be able to get data that way. Um, I don't know anything about that process, but I know that certain proteins just really don't want to do that. So that's why cryo-EM became really popular at the beginning is because all of a sudden now we can look at like membrane proteins and stuff that just never lent themselves to the x-ray side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Wait, okay. So maybe I missed this or maybe I'm like pea-sized brain, but is the cryo in cryo-EM like cryogenic? Oh like my gosh, yes. I should have said that in the first like two minutes. <laughs> the way that you image a biological structure is like you have to freeze it like in ice to be able to keep it in place. Um, so that's where the cryogenic part comes in. It's, it's really cool. I can talk about it more. Um, so since each particular protein is so small and um, since electrons, you know, it's different than light, like you, you are hitting your sample with particles, right? Um, electrons have mass, they damage proteins pretty quickly. Um, so instead of just having like one protein and spinning it around and taking pictures until we have a structure, we like have a solution full of whatever protein we're looking at. We um, put those on like these grids that we loaded to the microscope and we, we flash freeze the solution onto the grids such that the ice freezes so quickly that it doesn't have time to turn into a crystal. So it doesn't contribute any like background noise when you image it. Um, so when you take images, you set, it, you set up the microscope to automatically take like thousands or tens of thousands of images, each containing like a couple hundred of that protein at all different angles. And then you can just combine all of that information from each individual protein that you image to create a very, very high resolution structure. So that's the cryo part. And it makes it fun to prepare samples because everything's under liquid nitrogen. And you have to try to like move around teeny tiny things without burning yourself or um, making anything get warm. It's funny thinking about the no drama drama because I'm I agree with you. There's probably no real drama because when you when you talk about like they're two different technologies that really in in some ways just achieve different outcomes from for different purposes but it is funny because it makes me think again about like just technologies and how you know sometimes there's that resistance to them or not resistance but like this well it will never be as good as blank because and i feel like it's not a either or it's an and right it's like 
and this, like we don't need to say one is good or one is bad. It's just, they do different things for different purposes. Yeah, I feel like um, we had a lot of focus on uh, like professional development skills in my master's program. And one of the things that was talked about a lot was like developing a growth mindset, um, which sounds, I don't know, kind of like a silly buzzword, but I feel like it applies to these situations where it's like, you know, technology methods are always growing and changing um, and requiring you to adapt to them because that, that growth mindset requires you to like, when you have to approach something new or you have to learn a new skill, you don't say, I can't do this. You say, I can't do it yet. And, you know, you, you know that you have the tools to figure it out. It might be more effort than sticking with the old thing, but in the end, you'll be glad you did it. Yeah, like new technology and like what it means to be sort of on the cutting edge is so exciting. And so I think that that's just like such a cool part of um, what you get to do on a daily basis. And I think it's like super inspiring to hear about people who are doing are like making new science um, in such such amazing ways and um, in ways that we like don't even we don't even know like what the those ramifications might be yet and so that all feels like really really exciting because we're coming up on time here I'm wondering um, if you'd like to play a game <laughs> sure cool um, so before we close we wanted to play a game called this versus that which is adapted from um, the versus poetry podcast so we're just going to ask you to choose either the best or the worst of something and the only object to the game is to try to answer as fast as you can would you like to choose the best or the worst of things we'll go with the worst yes I have feel, been feeling like we've needed some more worst representation people have been unexplainably sunny. Where is the worst place to get work done? At work, because it's so loud and people are running around making so much chaos. I, uh, I work from home most of the time. I love going to work when it's merited, but if I'm just trying to like hunker down and do my thing, then I need my quiet space. What is, this is, I don't even know what this actually means. So I'll be curious what you say. What is the worst animal model? I do not know what that means either. I'm gonna say my cat because when I make knit clothes for my dog and my cat, my cat does not want to sit still for pictures. <laughs> that's amazing. I think that that's the new, that's the new definition for the phrase animal model we should adopt. I was thinking like when I wrote it, I was like, oh, like, you know, mice, zebrafish, oh, sure. um, <laughs> like monkeys. <laughs> um, okay, what about what's the worst holiday? I'm going to say Thanksgiving. Not that I don't have a lot of fun there. I just feel like you should be able to eat a lot of food at every single holiday. And all of that really good eating shouldn't just be relegated to one day of the year. That's big facts. What is um, the worst data processing software? Me, when I try to make my own like sandbox data processing on Python. <laughs> so valid. <laughs> I am the problem. <laughs> I felt that deeply. What's the worst scent? We're scent. Okay. So I don't smell very well. And I just kind of think most scents are either just good or bad. I like people make fun of me for just not being able to identify smells at all. I'll like walk past like food stands and be like, oh, what's that smell? They're like, it's, it's delicious food. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to say most scents. Wow. That's so interesting. I feel like we have to get you on like a research study for like olfactory bulb <laughs> something or other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that 
concludes our game. Thank you for playing. You won. Yay. <laughs> any, was there any last like thing you wanted to touch on mention? I know it's broad, but I feel like I always. Sure. Um, yeah, I would love to just real quickly plug some of the stuff we do uh, in the professional development committee in WIS. I want to invite anyone who's listening to, you know, check out any of our offerings that might interest them. We have quarterly seminars given by just uh, women and other people of marginalized genders who just have the coolest careers and the coolest things to say about their lives. And um, we're starting to run groups of community cohorts where um, people who share common interests get to meet all together over the course of four to six sessions to learn together and get to know each other. And we're starting to run some more informal meetups as well, just for people involved in WIS and just out in the community to um, actually get some face time after a couple of years of pandemic. So those are our main offerings. You can check out the rest on the WIS website. Yes. And I do have to say, I did go to um, the recent, I think, was it a luncheon learn? It was definitely during the day um, with MD PhD candidate Molly Marr, I think. And it was, it, that was such a cool event to go to. And I feel like I learned so much and she low-key is doing exactly what I want to do in my life. So that was amazing. Um, so big, like that's a big plug. They're super helpful and you get to meet really, really cool people. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks thank for coming you. on. And that's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood. Make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episodes and comment so more folks can find us. Or just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word. And tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod. You can email us at podcast at womeninsciencepdx.org. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, special thanks to Homo Kostrayani, who designed our awesome cover art. Before we sign off, we wanted to give you three easy ways that you can support WISPDX. If you have Instagram, you can go to at Women in Science PDX and follow us. Make sure to like at least our most recent post so that the algorithm knows that you might want to see this content. Um, Instagram's algorithm recently went through a change where you might not even see all the photos posted by the people that you follow. So this way you can stay on top of all the new events, blog posts, and podcast episodes that we work hard to put together for the community. The second thing you can do is just subscribe to our um, podcast on the platform that you listen to it, uh, listen to it on. And third, if you feel comfortable and have the resources to donate to our nonprofit, you can head to womeninsciencepdx.org/donate. Your money goes straight to things like our high-demand scholarships for low-income schools and educators, and honorariums for negotiation boot camp instructors and speakers.